and welcome to mini episode 100 of Real Life Ghost Stories. We're going to get straight into it today. I've got three spooky stories for you and story number one comes from Kirsty. These are only a few of the experiences I've had in my late teens and early 20s. At the time, I lived on a farm 30 minutes from the nearest town in rural New Zealand. After I applied to join the Navy, I worked in a meat processing plant while waiting for my intake. Before I started, the supervisor of the slaughter board, Lucan, was killed in a car accident along with his wife and his wee girl. The two boys survived. It was tragic and sad. Now, I'd been working on the trays where they sort offal and guts for about eight weeks. We had just had a 15-minute rotation on the trays. I was separating the intestines from the gut bag. I was looking around the room at all the people bantering, when out of the corner of my eye I saw someone walk past the first window where I took notice of him. I saw him as he was a large, six-foot-plus, solid man wearing a Canterbury rugby top. I saw his back as he reached the start of the angled wall and waited to see who it was as they popped out on the other side by the sink in the window. I stared and waited and stared and there was no one. I was puzzled. I saw him. I was sure. Or maybe not. Maybe I was seeing things. As I looked around confused, I caught the eye of a woman that I knew. I didn't know her very well, but I knew her well enough to have a giggle with, who was looking very worried and confused. Jackie, I called out. She looked straight at me. You saw him, didn't you? I asked. She was still looking at me, but she was white at this point. Jackie, you saw him, didn't you? I was starting to get agitated. She looked at me and turned away back to the carcass she was inspecting. I was pissed off at this stage. Who the fuck was that and why won't Jackie answer me? I must have been frowning as another meat inspector, Luna, stood next to me on the trays, asked me what was wrong. I told her I had seen someone walk up the stairs but not go into the office or wash up to come into the room. I explained who I'd seen. Ah, she said. Lucan is here. Me being the delicate person that I am, I said, Um, he's dead. Or is there another Lucan? And she responded, nah, the dead one. He's having a look around. I brushed it off. She's full of shit, pulling my leg, whatever. The rest of the shift went by. We finished and I went home and there was nothing for another week. I was standing at the trays again, separating guts. Continuous, repetitive job that it is. I was daydreaming away when I felt a jab in my right leg. In the meaty bit where your bum is. I turned to look and I turned right around and there was nobody there. Luna, standing on my left, noticed me turning in a circle and asked what I was up to. Someone jabbed me in the leg. She smiled. She took her steel that you sharpen a knife with and poked my leg. Did it feel like that? She asked. I told her that it did, but just a bit higher. Smiling, she tells me that when Lucan was here, he used to do the rounds starting at the trays. He would walk down the length of the room against the wall, observing the workers, then back down the other side, jabbing people with his steel to get a bit of banter or a bite or just to say hi. Cute, I thought to myself. 
and then aloud I asked her why does he have to do it to me I don't even know him she laughed and said maybe he knew that I could feel him nothing more happened while I worked inside the plant until one night I was driving home when I was working the night shift I had driven this road thousands of times we had lived in the district for years I'm from a farming background I know what animals look like at night. I know what colours their eyes shine when the light hits them. It was around 2am, I was wide awake driving along and I rounded a corner. As I straightened the wheel, my headlights hit something. Something black. Something so, so black. I've seen Angus cattle in the dark and they're black. But they have eyes and they move in an animalistic way. I knew this wasn't something that I wanted to see. Every hair on my body stood on end. I went cold. It was like it happened in slow motion. This blackness just moved across the road. Even as I write this, it's making me feel ill. It didn't run. It wasn't slow. Just the fluidity of the motion made me so frightened. It wasn't big like a cow, it wasn't small and textured like a sheep, it wasn't a dog or a possum or a cat, it was too big. It had no distinctive shape, it just was. The most unsettling thing about it was that it didn't reflect, it absorbed. My lights were on high beam and there was nothing on the other side of it as it sucked every little bit of light up. I was petrified. It then moved off the road in that disgustingly fluid way and dissipated into the night. I locked all my car doors and then sped the fuck home. Even after 12 years, I still can't tell this without feeling sick or wanting to turn all the lights on. So after that, I entered the Navy and ran full steam into the new life in the city, which was mind-blowing for a small-town country girl. I was posted to ship and off around the world I went and then it started again. I couldn't sleep. I would wander through the ship up to the bridge and then sit with the bridge watch looking into the dark sea and the beautiful night sky. Calming as it was I knew there was something not right. One night I headed to do my laundry. I walked down the passageway to the aft of the ship and I felt someone watching me as I passed the engine room. I quickened the pace and felt a heavy presence that I could collapse under. I was running at this stage, frightened out of my mind of fuck knows what. I put my laundry on and went to the mess room to calm down, where there was light. It was a safe zone. I had just begun to relax when my diesel monkey mate popped out and screamed hello. My soul left my body, as did every tear in my body. Shocked, he asked me what was up. And for some godforsaken reason, I say, the flus. He was confused and I was confused. It came out of my mouth before I even knew what I was saying. Please take me up to the flus, I asked. He looked at me and asked me if I was sure. I had heard stories of a sailor getting a Dear John letter and not wanting to go on. But I wasn't sure what ship it happened on. I'd only been in the Navy a couple of years. So we entered the engine room and ascended up the ladder to a small platform. I saw from where I was standing a small frame on the wall. I walked across to it and read the name of the sailor and a brief message of safe seas etc. I felt the heaviness again. It was right above where I had felt the heaviness half an hour before. 
I was satisfied that I knew who or what it was that had made me feel that way and I carried on with my night. Another few days whizzed by and I'm doing my thing on the ship. Work, shower, not sleep, wander, all is good. I decide I better get into bed as I have the morning watch and I had to be up at 4.30am. It was 2.30am and I was laying in my pit when I heard the door open. Not unusual as we shared a mess with watchkeepers that were woken for their watches. One of the girls must have put in for a shake which was to be woken up. But I heard the footsteps come to our side of the mess. I had my curtain drawn a quarter of the way but I always left my foot curtains open. The glow of the red night light enough to see what was around me. Then I saw somebody walk past my pit. In a pair of grey overalls. We don't wear grey overalls anymore. The room was freezing. The glow of the red light was enough to let me see that this was a man. I felt sick. No man had a reason to be down there, let alone in uniform that had been faded out ten years ago. I started screaming in my head because my mouth wasn't working. Please just leave. I'm sorry for what happened to you. I see you, but please just leave. Then he turned and looked at me. And then he walked past again. But this time I don't hear the door. The warmth returns to the room and somehow I fall asleep. I woke to start breakfast at 4.30 absolutely shattered from the events of the night. I've always been petrified of the dark. Even now at 28 I will run over my own husband to get upstairs first when the lights have been turned off. Or lights have to come on before I go anywhere in the house at night. And it was made worse after that night on the road. What did you see on the road? What was that? What is it that absorbs the darkness and slinks around like a glass of water? What is it? Oh, and it's, I've seen stories on my travels, you know, on my travels. When I say on my travels, I mean like on internet forums and through Reddit. But I've seen so many stories of people seeing these creatures, these, these blacker than black creatures at nighttime sort of slinking around the place. What was that? I'm not surprised it makes you feel sick even writing about it now. I feel sick even thinking about it. No, just sounds awful. And I, and I'm, you know, I feel obviously it's awful when people, when people die young. And I do, I understand them hanging around in the places where they spent most of their time. Uh, I do. I wish that Jackie would have answered your question though. Kind of would have saved a lot of, a lot of worry for her, I think. And I'm fascinated by people who are in the Navy who live on, boats even people who work on cruise ships like I just think that life at sea is really fascinating and getting used to living in what is a relatively confined space I just think it's it's just a fascinating life to live and story number two comes from Adam you can call me a skeptic who wants to believe a more rational molder if you will though he was right more often than not I don't subscribe much to people being able to be aware of spirits, etc. But I do believe that sometimes the veil between the living and the dead is somewhat thin enough to be noticeable. I'm originally from Inverness in the Highlands of Scotland, and this is close to Loch Ness, famous for the notorious monster. It is also home to Bolskin House, which unfortunately currently sits in ruins after consecutive fires. This house once belonged to Alistair Crowley, the dark arts aficionado 
but the land around it also lends itself to a bit more historical intrigue than just that particular plot. On the lower west side of the house, down a hill and across the road, sits a graveyard dating back to at least the early 17th century. Being bored emo kids from a small city, it became a spot we wanted to visit for some reason. And though I don't always believe that graveyards are going to be one of the most haunted places, this place always gave me the heebie-jeebies. And one particular visit all but confirmed why. A group of around 10 of us went out to visit the graveyard and hang out in the area in the dead of night. We ventured into the graveyard with torches to have a look around and just generally creep each other out. There is an old mort house in the middle of the graveyard. A mort house was a type of mortuary where bodies were kept until they could be buried. And with the main door being blocked off, a couple of us tried to climb up and in but with no success. You could see that others had been more successful in the past and crude pentagrams and other such edgy graffiti had been drawn on the walls. Giving up, everyone except for two of my friends and I, Pete and Ricky, went back to the cars around half a mile down the road. We continued to look around the headstones, long dead names of families of all ages looking back at us. It must have been a further ten minutes or so of it just being the three of us, when, rather cruelly, my friend Pete and I decided to hide on Ricky. He had already ventured a wee bit further down into the graveyard, so all we needed to do was hang back and hide behind two walls either side of the path. Ricky went on a little bit further before realising that we weren't there anymore, and he turned back calling out for us. We silently laughed while he came back up the path, getting louder and louder in panic before we jumped out in front of him and scared the life out of him. Cruel to say the least, but we got a great reaction out of him. As he cursed us out and called us every name under the sun, we laughed at how hilarious we thought we were. And then it happened. In a split second of silence between Ricky's shouting and us getting our breath back, Pete and I heard the unmistakable sound of a little girl giggling. Right next to us. Instantly, we looked at each other with panic written all over our faces. Did you hear that? was laughing it was a little girl the look in his eyes upon hearing that made my skin crawl and every hair stand on end we panicked and began running ricky was confused as to why we were the ones now scared and running and followed on asking us what was wrong we ran back to the cars not stopping to look back once and arrived back to find everyone else all at the cars happily chatting away and unaware of anything out of the ordinary we explained what we had heard while Ricky angrily told them what we had done. No one believed us and were more into having a go at us for jumping out on Ricky but we knew what we heard. Did a long dead spirit of a little girl find our cruel trick funny? It seems so, even if no one alive did. My second experience happened at my workplace. I've worked at the Edinburgh Festival Theatre for 12 years beginning as an usher and then working towards a management position. The theatre is an incredible building, a mix of old and new with the facade of the building being built in 1994 and parts of the auditorium dating back to 1892. The site it is built on has had an incredible history too, with it being the longest continuous site of a theatre in Scotland. The first of which was the Dundon Hall in 1830, and before its current incarnation, the Empire Palace Theatre, 
the first and crown jewel of the famous Moss Empire chain. It was here that witnessed one of the greatest theatre tragedies in world history, taking place during a performance by the greatest magician and illusionist of his time, the great Lafayette, in 1911. During his final illusion, The Lion's Bride, a lit lamp managed to set ablaze the many folds of cloth that surrounded the lavish set, quickly leading to the whole stage going up in flames. No one in the audience was harmed due to the quick thinking of the orchestra conductor who struck up God Save the King, which indicated this was certainly not part of the performance, and they left quickly through the front of the building. Backstage, however, things had not gone so well. Upon the insistence of the great Lafayette himself, the doors to the stage had been locked to keep the secrets of his stage show safe from anyone that wasn't part of his entourage and the theatre staff, meaning that everyone on stage was trapped. Then the safety curtain was lowered, but had become stuck due to the stage set spilling out, creating a backdraft and letting the fire rage further. By the time it was put out, 11 people, including two children, and the great Lafayette himself had died. The two children were the robotic teddy bear in an act where the teddy was brought to life, and they'd been found on a staircase that led off the stage. The outline of this staircase is still visible to this day on the stage of the Festival Theatre. Needless to say, there have been some ghostly experiences, from full-body apparitions floating along the corridors of the backstage, to footsteps being heard by the stage door staff, who when closing the buildings are the only ones left in there. We even keep a seat down in the upper circle for an old theatre manager who frequently visits. There are actually too many to write out. When I started in management, our office was located in the basement of the front facade, and though it can be creepy at times, it's never been overbearing in any way. The way the basement was laid out, our office looked out into a corridor where to the left was the front of the house staff room and my desk was sat in a way that meant I looked out into the corridor. Working by myself one afternoon, I saw what seemed to be a staff member go past the door towards the staff room. There was no show on, so I thought it must have been someone who had forgotten something the night before and came in to pick it up. There was no noises though, no rustling about or footsteps, which I thought was strange. I got up from my desk and turned to the corner and went into the staff room to say hello to whoever it was, and just for a little chat, but there was no one there. Confused but not too worried, I went back into the office and sat down at my desk. And just as I did, I saw the same thing, but someone going the other way past the door. I was done. I ran upstairs and found a colleague who was working in another part of the building and explained what had just happened. She wasn't concerned though. She explained that whatever or whoever it was was just coming by to suss me out and that was all. It happened to her as well and when she first started. Though slightly more scary circumstances with doors slamming and footsteps. But it was harmless and nothing would happen again. And she was right. Whatever or whoever it was made itself known to me. And that was all that it needed. I have never heard these stories about that theatre before. I've never heard the story of the great Lafayette and the fire. It's such a tragic, tragic story. 
But I can totally believe it. You know, these illusionists and magicians, they wanted to keep their trade secrets and they and it was a really competitive game and industry at the time. So I understand that he would have kept all the doors locked and because you wouldn't foresee, of course, you wouldn't foresee that a tragedy like that would happen. Oh, it's just awful. And theatres, as we've spoken about before, theatres are just seem to be universally haunted places. And it's difficult to know why. Is it is it because of the great emotion that happens on stage or the fact that people, you know, they devote their lives to theatre? Whether it's managers or actors or stagehands or crew, whatever it is, people just, they just love theatre. And when I go to Scotland, I am for sure going to visit there, most definitely, just for a little sneaky look around. I, I also have an episode in the pipeline about Alistair Crowley but it's going to take a lot because there's just so much information about him so I need a really long time to plan it and kind of try and whittle it down and narrow it down but yeah amazing and story number three comes from Jake at 18 I left for the Marine Corps much to my family's surprise after training I found my initial posting at Marine Barracks 8th in Washington DC Luckily, it was only for a year prior to being moved on to a new posting. Now, this place was fairly old, 1801 to be exact, so it's seen both the War of 1812 and a tragic number of suicides since then, not to mention our resident occultist during my time there. And no, I don't mean occultist in a fun way. He was into blood sacrifices and the like. Needless to say, this place was beyond haunted by a wide variety of entities. It's like they fed off the energy there or something. An unfortunate number of them seemed quite unhappy with us just being in the place, to the point where if you drew the 6pm to 6am shift and were unlucky enough to get posted alone, you were almost guaranteed to witness something. The lights in the place were always turning on and off. Whatever was the opposite of what it was supposed to be. Doors would lock themselves, windows would open, or you'd be greeted quite often by a nearly overpowering feeling of some large, imposing person blocking your path, only for no one to be there. Those less fortunate experienced being pushed, tripped, had doors slam in their face, or books and other objects thrown at them. Or, if you were the luckiest of the bunch, you got to come face to face with one of our favourite residents. We always joked about the little girl in the underground garage, the black figure in the barracks, or the thing that lurked in the streets of Admiral's Row. And I was one of those fortunate people. It was my third or fourth day on the current rotation of 6pm to 6am. I was on death row, as they called it, since each post was manned by only one marine. Twelve hours all to yourself. I was stuck with the entrance to one of the barracks towers that housed some of the dorm-style living arrangements. At this point, I had already seen a thing or two out of the corner of my eye, but always chalked it up to being sleep-deprived. I mean, on average, we drank about three energy drinks a night to cruise through with at least a minimal amount of awareness. It was 3am at this point, and I had stepped out of my booth to stand inside the tiny lobby. I needed to stretch my legs if I could. I spun around on one foot in an ungraceful circle. Bored to tears, I ran my eyes across the cafeteria to my left and finally to my right, where my eyes fell on something not more than ten feet behind my booth. They looked at first glance like the headlights of a car, 
I stared hard until I realised they were eyes and finally the face came into view. Bright orange eyes set on a matte black face. It was a person with an unhumanly dark body and shining eyes like that of a cat crouched down on all fours staring up at me. No discernible expression that I noticed. It had a hood or perhaps long hair obscuring the sides of its face. I didn't move, nor did it disappear. It only got clearer, as if it was in fact a real human in there with me. I stood there staring for an unknown amount of time, locking eyes with it like we were both surprised and confused by each other, neither wanting to be the first one to break contact. Eventually, it slowly stood and glided backwards into the shadows where it simply disappeared. I promptly decided that the remaining hours of my shift would be enjoyed from directly outside the building. When questioned about whether I think it was real, as it turned out, we had all seen it. Most don't talk about it. Some waved it off as fatigue-induced hallucinations. Others, like me, talked about it at length from a safe distance, of course. I still live in Virginia and quite often take the highway that cuts directly behind that building. Every single time, even to this day, I get this feeling of dread because it's still there and I know it remembers me and can feel my presence in the same way that I can still feel it as well. I sometimes think in the stories that are sent in that it's like some of the listeners that have sent in stories say Kirsty, for example, seeing that thing in the middle of the road and obviously Jake then seeing this creature when he was working nights. It feels like you're not supposed to see it. You get this glimpse into another world or a veil is lifted or whatever it is, whatever way you want to frame it. And you're not supposed to see it and then it's not supposed to see you or it is surprised that you see it. It's I don't know. It's like we get these glimpses or people sometimes get a glimpse into another world that they're just that we're not meant to see and suddenly something has gone wrong or something is as aligned perfectly that allow you to see it at that particular time. I was going to say when when you know when reading Jake's story that initially you think oh it's probably just it's probably just hallucinations from working nights and drinking energy drinks and whatever but if everybody's seeing the same thing what does that mean? And if you if you work in a pl- place where there has been lots of pain and suffering then who knows what that attracts or who knows what that causes. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you to Kirsty, Adam and Jake for sending in your stories. You can also send in your story if you desire to gmail.com. You can also check out our website com. And on that note, I will see you next time. <laughs>